we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. I want us to go together to Philippians chapter number four. And uh, this morning we continue uh, our study of this fourth chapter. In fact, we're not really studying the entire chapter. We're just looking at verses one through nine. And our theme for this study, uh, we find in verse number one, stand fast in the Lord. And we've been looking at this thought in light of the fact that in this age in which we live, there are so many pressures and so many forces that are opposing God's people. These forces not only are acting upon the church and you and I as individuals, but they're working in our nation and our world as they characterize the spirit of our age. And so we find in the word of God that we're to stand fast in the Lord. The word stand fast, also we might refer to it this way, stand firm. And so may God help us to stand firm and to stand fast. Uh, I want us to read these verses together, and then we'll note verse number 8, particularly this morning. Beginning in verse number 1, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech you, Odious, and beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord, and I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you yet again for an opportunity to come together around the truth of your word, and we pray for the aid of the Holy Spirit, who is our teacher, that we would receive your truth, that we would receive it with understanding, and I pray that you would help me as your servant this morning to declare it in the power of the Holy Spirit, and may the word of God have its effect, full effect, in every heart and life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned earlier, we've been learning to stand fast in the Lord, or at least we've been learning the truths that we need and the resources that we have, which aid us in this effort of standing firm, standing fast in the Lord. We noted in verses 1 and 2, or actually in verses 2 and 3, that we're to stand fast in partnership. We're not in this alone 
We're in this together. We need one another. We need the meetings of the church, the fellowship of the saints, the instruction of the word, the opportunity to worship him in song, uh, in spirit, and in truth. We need this, and we are, uh, our, our standing is dependent upon our partnership. And then upon our praise, we're to stand fast in praise. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. We're to learn to rejoice. No matter uh, our circumstances, we rejoice in the truth of God's word. Verse 5, we learn to stand fast in our moderation or in propriety, our proper behavior, doing that which is fitting and which is honorable uh, to the Lord. In verse 6, we found that we're to stand fast in prayer, letting our requests be made known unto God. And then last week, as we noted in verse 7, we're to stand fast in peace, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That word keep means to garrison, and as we learn that God his peace garrisons us. It, it guards our hearts and our minds. But now we come to verse number eight, and we find not only are we guarded or to be guarded by the peace of God in our mind and in our heart, but we are to be guided uh, by the thoughts that God intends for us to think. We're to be guided in our thoughts. And so we find here that we're to stand fast in pondering, in our thinking. And I want us to note some things this morning that I pray will help us. Now, why is this admonition so important for us? It is because there is a great battle that is raging. We understand that we are in a spiritual conflict, right? And there's a great battle raging. And if you belong to Christ, your soul is saved. Satan cannot have your soul. But Satan wants to have a foothold, a place in your mind. Satan is waging his war on the battlefield of the mind. And our mind, our thinking impacts our attitudes and it impacts our actions. You know, we hear so much of mental health today, do we not? And we've noted in this study, as we've been looking in Philippians 4, uh, we've noted in recent weeks the trouble that we're having as a nation uh, with the issues of mental health. And there are many today that people are grappling with. But we must recognize that mental health can never be fully achieved until we acknowledge God. And until God rules and reigns in our hearts and in our thinking. Because even though we know the Lord as Savior, if we're Christians, and we have the Holy Spirit and we have the mind of Christ, we understand that we're in a battle with the flesh. And the natural man and the natural mind and the thinking that results from our sin nature, though we are redeemed, though we have the spirit, though we have the mind of Christ, we're in conflict with the natural man. And we must live dependent upon the truth of God, and we must learn to submit our thoughts to God's thoughts, and we must learn to think as God would have us to think. The Bible says in Psalm 10 and verse 4, speaking of those who do not know the Lord, 
The wicked, through pride, or through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. The problem we have in our world is that those who do not know the Lord as their Savior, they, in the pride of their countenance, meaning in their self-reliance, meaning in their declaration that they don't need God, that they'll be just fine without him, that they do not in any of their thoughts uh, have an acknowledgement that God exists or that God is present in their hearts and lives and they have no desire with their attitude or their actions to please him. And because of that, we live in a world that has gone mad. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 21 explains how this happens. Because that when they knew God, when they had a knowledge of him in their conscience and in their creation, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, and as a result became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Have you ever asked yourself the question, how can people possibly think this way? In a world such as ours, in a nation like ours, with all of the things that we hear and see in our world, with what's coming out of the mouths of our political leaders and with what entertainment uh, uh, provides for us, the industry of entertainment today, uh, with the notions that uh, are being used in public policy today and in education and what our children are being taught, uh, do you ever ask yourself, how in the world can people possibly think this way? I'll tell you how they can think this way. Because when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. And when they did that, they became vain in their imaginations, the thinking of their heart, and their foolish heart was darkened. You see, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verses 6, 7, and 8, for to be carnally minded is death. Carnally minded speaks of the natural mind, the mind of man apart from God. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So you have your choice, death or life and peace. Verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. The carnal mind is in a condition of war against God. It is war against God for it is not subject to the law of God the natural mind without the aid of God and God's spirit cannot subject itself to the laws of God that's why we see what we find happening in our culture today neither indeed can be so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God you cannot please God unless you have the Holy Spirit of God living in you. You cannot please God unless you have declared your faith upon the person of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible tells us in Hebrews. Without faith, it is impossible, excuse me, without faith, it is impossible to please him. So to be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now, we're told that because though we have the mind of the spirit we're in this struggle we're in this struggle for life and for peace and so may the lord help us in this struggle the bible says in second corinthians chapter 10 and I, i'd like to invite you to turn there but i want you to see this truth second corinthians chapter 10 and verse number three 
Paul here is speaking of the mind and the battle that we're engaged in. And he says, beginning in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, this spiritual struggle that we're in. We can't match wits with the devil based on our own flesh, our own ingenuity. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not earthly, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Verse 5, casting down, note the word, imaginations. And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. So you have the word imaginations, you have the word knowledge, Verse uh, continuing here in verse 5, and bringing into captivity every thought. So you have the words imaginations, knowledge, and thought, every thought, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. What is he speaking of here? He is speaking of the conflict that we're all in. We're in a warfare, but the weapons that we have are not carnal. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. You see, Satan desires to erect a stronghold in your life. Where is the stronghold? It's in the mind. And we find that because the thing that he wants to use against us and against God are these imaginations that we're prone to have. These, the thoughts are the pattern of our thinking. And this, these imaginations exalt themselves against the knowledge of God or the truth of God. And therefore, we are commanded to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, I've got a problem here. Do you? My, my thoughts, it's like herding cats sometimes. They're running everywhere. They're running everywhere. They're shaped by circumstances, and they're shaped by temptation, and they're shaped by the frailty of my own flesh and my own feeble mind. So it is important for us to recognize that the war is raging in the realm of our thinking. And this is important for us because the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23 and verse 7. So the way you think, the way I think, is extremely important to my spiritual health and well-being and to the work of God in my life. So what does God expect? He expects me to do something. He expects me to be proactive in the battle, not just to leave my mind as an open pasture for Satan to send his thoughts in and out of. Not for a place where I can just entertain every carnal thought that comes to my mind. No. My thoughts are to be guided. And we're going to note six guiding principles, six guidelines for godly thinking in this passage. And they're, they're right here for us in this verse. So God expects us to fight the good fight of faith, to resist the devil, and having done all to stand, to stand therefore with our loins girt about with truth. We're in the battle for truth in our mind. 
and in our thoughts. So we have these six guidelines that we can follow. Well, let's look at them. We'll take them one by one, and we'll ask God to speak to us through them. Number one, think on things that are true. Think on things that are true. Notice again, verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true. So there's our starting point. Whatsoever things are true. That's what we're to think about. Now, the word true here means without deception or without dishonesty. Our minds, yours and mine, they're frail, right? Our minds are frail and fraught with the effects of sin. And Satan, knowing that, well, he works to deceive us. And there's a world of deception out there. So how are we to counter this deception? How are we to counter these lies? How are we to counter this dishonesty? Well, there's only one source of truth, is there not? Now, there may be many places where we can get the truth, but there's only one source of truth. That's Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So he is the author of all truth. And his word declares truth to me. John 17, 17, Jesus said this, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. If I want to know what the truth is and where to find it, I find it in the person of Christ, and I find it in the pages of God's word. Thy word is truth. There are five references in the New Testament that speak of the word of God as the word of truth. This book that we hold in our hands, it is the word of truth. It is the source of all truth. And if I want to combat error and lies and deceptions in my heart or in the information that I'm receiving, then I need to make sure I'm getting my information from the one source that is true, the word of God. John Phillips' writing says this, some people argue that we ought to be conversant with all the subtleties of falsehood so that we will be able to deal with it when it arises. But the argument itself is false. The simplest way to expose a crooked line is to place a straight edge alongside it. Law enforcement agents who specialize in the detection of counterfeit money do not spend much time studying the varieties of counterfeit bills. Rather, they make themselves thoroughly familiar with genuine bills circulated by the mint. He goes on to write, Paul was too well instructed by the Holy Spirit to waste time wandering in mazes of error built by the evil one. Too often we lose ourselves in research into communism, Mormonism, humanism, or whatever the current ism is, when what we need to be doing is staying close to Christ. All the cults betray themselves in their answers to this question. What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? What is it that he's trying to tell us? He's trying to say, instead of filling your mind with every lie and deception, fill your heart with the truth. And when you become familiar with the truth, you'll immediately recognize a lie. And I just want to say this to you this morning. Uh, with all that's going around and all the circulating in social media and all the theories and all the, I mean, they, they said on the news the other day that people were gathering in, in Dallas, Texas to see 
uh, the, the, the president's son, uh, President Kennedy's son, who was killed in a plane crash years ago, to see him who has reemerged from the dead in some way. And these theories are, 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 are spread on social media, and people believe it because they showed up to see it. I want to say as ridiculous a notion as that is, there are many, many more ridiculous notions that people entertain and read about and spend their time consumed with. I want to say this to you. Why should we consider all the lies and speculation and uncertainties of this world when we have the truth of God's word before us? And if we want to stand fast, if we want to think the thoughts we need to think, we need to fill our hearts and minds with the truth of God's word. But it is the thing our mind often works to resist the most. And that's where we need the help of the Holy Spirit. Number one, think on things that are true. Number two, think on things that are honorable things that are honorable, things that are respectable. He says, whatsoever things are honest. The word honest here means reputable, revered, honorable, or grave. The word grave is used in the New Testament. We find it in 1 Timothy chapter 3 when speaking of the qualifications of a deacon and of his wife, that they are to be grave, that is to be serious, sober, to be honorable in their behavior. You, you, when you're looking, when you're you're looking for people who would be willing to serve as a deacon, you, you're not looking for people who have questionable reputations. You're you're looking for people who have an honorable standard of living, righteousness. We find this qualification given in Titus chapter two concerning older men that they're to behave themselves in a grave manner, a serious manner. I can't think of anything more unseemly than to see a group of senior adult men behaving like teenage boys or college boys. It's not that they can't have any fun, but I'm talking about in their morality and in their language. There's nothing more unseemly. You see, a man who pleases God, who is in his, in his aged years, should have an honorable character. This is what, is, this is what uh, Paul is speaking about here in Philippians, things that are honorable, things that are respectable. And it seems that we have lost all sense of propriety in our nation. The natural man craves the salacious. He craves the scandalous. That's why uh, the, 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 the leading uh, websites and newspapers of the day, uh, when they promote their stories, they use the most salacious and scandalous headlines they can find to attract attention, to draw in the reader. And why, why is the reader drawn in by that? Because we have within us this craving for that. We want to feast on all the details of the unmentionable aspects of people's lives. There seem to be no boundaries upon the conversations of this age. Crude and coarse language. Crude, coarse language rules the day. The language and topics used in talk shows, movies, television programs, and social media, well, that's spilled over into our daily discourse and our family discussions. Have you noticed a way that a change in the way people discuss things and talk about things. 
things that wouldn't be talked about even just a few years ago, now talked about openly. Words that would never have been used on television, now used frequently in the television programs that are before us. John Phillips writes, Paul advised us to concentrate our thoughts on nobler themes. Crudeness and coarseness should have no place in a Christian's thought life. We are to cultivate refinement and respect for the finer things of life. We are to train our minds to dwell on them. You know, when, you, when someone gets something on their mind, we say, well, they're dwelling on this. Well, this is what the Lord wants us to dwell on, these, these guidelines that we find in Philippians 4. God wants us to dwell on not the things that are crude and crass and questionable. God wants us to dwell on the things that are noble and honorable. And therefore, we should speak that way. Phillips goes on to write, the Bible does not avoid mentioning the facts of life, but it, avoid, it avoids giving offense. He says, the realism of modern writing with its constant barrage of four-letter words and explicit sexual details, does nothing but pander to man's lower nature. And we have to admit that this is true in our own hearts. We have a, a tendency to, to sort of uh, degrade, to, to slide down in our patterns and standards of thinking and behavior. So how should we pattern our thinking? Well, it should be patterned after the word of God. Let me give you a reference to look up or look at now. First Peter chapter one and verse 13. First Peter chapter one and verse 13, uh, Peter writing to those who were persecuted and those Hebrew believers that were spread abroad, he says, wherefore gird up the loins of your mind. Strengthen your mind. That's what he's saying to them. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. There's that word that reminds us of the word grave, honorable. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, verse 14, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, not, not being shaped by the, the things that are debasing and degrading those thoughts that permeate our mind and our culture. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. How would you expect the Lord Jesus would speak? How do you expect that he would conduct himself? How do you expect that he would think? This is what he expects for us. Let me give you a third one. Think on things that are right. He says, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just. The word just means righteous or right. There's a whole lot world in this, I mean, there's a whole lot wrong in this world, right? There's a whole lot wrong in this world. 
And that's the way Solomon observed it. By the way, we have uh, a constant reminder on a daily basis on any news program that you watch or any post that you see of all that's wrong in the world. And we have a group of people who are all too happy to tell us and remind us of it on a constant basis. It makes you wonder if there's anything right in the world. And Solomon, who was the wisest of all, who was a ruler and a king in Israel, uh, wisest of all outside of Christ, endued with wisdom from the Lord, he said this in Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 14 and 15. He said, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun. Through my observations, I've seen about all you can see, he said. Behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Life apart from God is meaningless. Then he says this in verse 15, that which is crooked cannot be made straight, and that which is wanting cannot be numbered. In other words, there are problems everywhere, and there are multiple, multiple problems that have no solutions. So we live in a world where it's popular to think about all that's wrong, and people speak of justice and injustice, and, and, and they demand justice when the one thing they really don't want more than anything on earth is true justice, because if we get true justice, we're all going to hell for all eternity. But people want to live in a world free of offense. While they offend God, they want a world free of offense while they fail to recognize him, while they continue to trod under their dirty feet the precious blood of Christ, they demand justice and speak of injustice. And you know, if we're not careful, we'll get our, our thought, our thinking will be only upon that which is wrong. All the things we don't have, all the wrongs that have been done to us, all the injustices, and oh, how we need to be careful about that. Because when we dwell upon only that which is wrong, we forget about that which is right. We become preoccupied, and there's no benefit of the good in our lives. The infatuation that we have with the ills and injustices of our world, it yields a bitter poison for us, and that sours our souls, and it, it spills over on all those that we come in contact with. And Hebrews warns us, thereby many be defiled. We need to learn not just to reflect upon all the wrongs that have been done to us, but reflect upon the right. And what we're going to find out is when we think of the right, the mercy and grace of Jesus, the wrongs aren't worthy to be compared. Let me give you a fourth thought this morning. Think on things that are pure. He says, whatsoever things are pure. Nothing can be more detrimental to my spiritual health, my mental health, and my Christian testimony than unclean thinking. And all of us deal with it. In this day and age in which we live with pornography and perversion abounding, with all things impure surrounding us, recently our lieutenant governor received a lot of criticism because he made a statement about sexual perversion. 
he had a press conference to defend his statement. And in that press conference, he had a, a video screen behind him and he put on display images and statements that were included in the public school curriculum of North Carolina that promoted sexual perversion. There have been no reports or no outcries that I've read about from the parents in the state of North Carolina concerning what was in those textbooks. I'm sure there are a few groups that are upset, but I'm talking about, by and large, we don't see a statewide movement to purge our state of that kind of wicked material. And yet our children are being taught this. They're being taught that it's normal, that it's acceptable, and there should be no limits on what they do. We live in a dirty world. So how do we, when we're attracted to dirt, especially us men, how do we keep our minds and thoughts pure? Well, we have to recognize that we like dirt. And we have to confess that. And then we need to get our minds cleansed. And I have some good news for you. There is cleansing for the mind. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The cleansing of our sin comes to us through the blood of Christ that was spilled for us on the cross of Calvary. John Phillips, speaking of the awful influence of impurity, says this. He says, once given a lodging, impure thoughts are virtually impossible to evict. In other words, once we allow them to come into our mind and we give them a place to dwell, they're virtually impossible to evict. They lurk in the hidden recesses of the mind and make their presence known at the most unexpected times. They may show up when we're trying to worship or when we're engaged in an innocent conversation with someone who has no idea that we're suddenly entertaining lascivious thoughts. If a person once let his thoughts wander down some impure path, hidden legions joyfully emerge and stampede, pushing the mind into all kinds of sin. The Bible speaks of this wicked, filthy age in Ephesians 4 and verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, in the emptiness and the futility of their mind, the meaninglessness of it, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their hearts who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. You see, once you allow your mind to walk down those avenues time after time after time, what happens to you after a while is it doesn't hurt anymore. It doesn't bother you anymore. You see, the voice of the conscience and the voice of the Holy Spirit, after you continue to silence those voices time and time again, you, you become dead to the pain of conviction, dead to the pain of the acknowledgement of right and wrong. 
until eventually you gather in this place where you have been past feeling and you've given yourself over unto lasciviousness. That's unbridled lust and perversion and sexual immorality. And that is the characteristic of the age in which we live. Paul says in verse 20, but ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old life, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful us, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Sir, ma'am, if you have a problem with impurity, and many of us do, then what must we do? We must put off the old man and put on the new man. We must get active in the battle, and instead of just allowing these wicked thoughts to roam around in our mind, we need to get intentional about God's thoughts. We need to get intentional about putting his word in our hearts. We need to take a note book. We need to write these thoughts down, write the word of God down. We need to meditate on specific, special verses that will help us in the fight and keep us clean. Things that are pure. Let me give you number five. Think on things that are lovely. I've never, I I just, I never imagined we'd ever come to a time like we've come where there's so much hate and negativity and unkindness in this world as there is today. And if you're not careful, it'll overtake you. It'll overtake you. He said, think on things that are lovely, things that are gracious things that are kind, things that are pleasing, things that are dear. You see, the key to all of this thinking is the person of Christ. When I think about all the things that are not lovely, I need to remind it of the one who is altogether lovely. That was the testimony of the Shunammite girl. When they asked, they said, tell us about your beloved. And she began to describe him, his hair, his countenance, his shoulders. She began to describe his physical appearance. But really that description speaks to us of the magnificence and beauty of our God. And when she came to the end of it all, as she was rehearsing how glorious he was, she said, and yea, he is altogether lovely. May we focus on the lovely Son of God. May we focus on what he did for us and dying for us. The forgiveness of sin that is offered to us, the home in heaven that we have. The fact that he is our high priest and that he is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. The fact that we have his promises and that they endure. The fact that he is faithful to us, that he is a God full of love and full of tender mercies that are new to us every morning. I want to say you and I have a lot to be thankful for. I want to say in the midst of all this evil and wickedness, all the bad, there is one who is altogether good. And because of him, I have a wife and children, and I have a church, and I have the blessings of God, and many of you have those things to enjoy as well. Think on things that are lovely. 
Here's the last one. Think on things that are of a good report. Things that are well spoken of, things that are praiseworthy. Paul would have us to resist these unclean thoughts by exalting that which edifies, that which builds up. You know, there's something about us. I said this a moment ago, we like the bad report, don't we? There's lots of outlets for bad reports. Why don't you be an outlet for a good report? When you hear people talk about their church, what, what do most people have to say about it? I'm talking about people outside. Well, I often I hear this. Well, let me tell you the problem down there where we go. <laughs> I don't want to be ugly and unkind, but I guess I need to be firm and resolute. I don't want to hear it. Wouldn't it be amazing if we just walked around and said, let me tell you all that God's doing. Let me tell you some good reports. Let me not talk about the teenagers that have gone astray. Let me tell you about some kids that uh, are, are living for God and doing right. We've got some here. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Hey, they're not perfect, right? We understand that. But if we, could, if we could rewind about 20 years, 30 years, we'd find a lot less uh, perfect ones than this group, right? I'm, I'm one. I'm one. Nobody would have ever put me here 30 years ago. Trust me. Trust me. A lot of people would have been impatient with me. Think on the things that are of good report. I thank God for the young people he's given us. I thank God that they have a heart for the Lord. They get up and sing in the choir and they serve and, and come to visit. I thank God for that. That's something worth telling people about. That's a good report. There are a lot of good things that are happening in this evil, wicked world. Let's reflect and think not on the things that are wrong, but on the things that are right and good. Let's talk about those things. Did you ever think that maybe the world has very little interest in what's going on in the church because when they hear people talk about the church, there's nothing good to report? When they talk about Jesus, they seem to have nothing good to report. They just talk about their problems. They don't talk about the blessings. Think on the things of good report. Let's look at the last phrase here. We're, we're done. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. That's the admonition. Well, where do these thoughts lead us? Thoughts of virtue and praise. They lead us to Jesus. Stay your mind on him. Now, let me ask you a question. What's on your mind? What's on your mind? Better yet, who's on your mind? If God is not in all your thoughts, if he's found nowhere in your thoughts, that's a good indication that you need to make sure you're saved. If you don't know the Lord as your Savior today, I want you to know that he loves you. He did everything necessary for you to be saved. There's not one thing you need to do except this. You need to confess you're a sinner, and you need to believe in Jesus. And we have people here who will lovingly, prayerfully talk with you
about what the Bible has to say, how you can become a Christian, and they will help you come to Christ today. If he's not on your mind, he needs to be. People are looking around, thinking about what's happening in this world. They're starting to wonder, and they're starting to think. Well, we have the answer. It's in Jesus. Would you come to him? Are you concerned with pleasing him? Let me ask you this. Here's another question. Are you faltering in your mind? Are you faltering? Are you struggling with some of these things that I mentioned to you this morning? Can I be the first to say yes? I falter in my mind quite often. What is it we need to do? Well, first of all, I think we need to recognize that we're in a battle. It's not wrong to be in a battle. It's a good thing to be in a battle. If nobody was fighting us, then we weren't on the right side, right? Recognize that your mind is frail. Our mind will not be what it should be until we get to heaven, until we have that new body, until we're delivered from the very presence of sin. Our minds are frail, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Recognize that your thoughts are vitally important to your spiritual life and to pleasing the Lord. Recognize that. And then let me ask you a final question. Are you willing to fortify your mind? Are you willing to do something to strengthen it? Then learn to identify the problem by thinking and drawing on Christ. Draw on him. Draw on his word and on the power of the Holy Spirit to fortify your mind. And God will help us to learn to think as he commands. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Think on these things. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.